Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good. Hey, if you are a first-time guest with us here at Lakeside Church, I just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you are here. My name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's just a privilege to have you with us. And uh, our heart is that we want you to connect with God, and we want you to connect with people. And so uh, we are glad that you're here. And I'm glad that it's already halfway through April. It's amazing how fast time is flying. Uh, March is over. April's here. It's baseball season. I saw that grand slam that the pitcher of the Giants hit the other night. If you don't know anything about baseball, that's a really big deal. And uh, it's really cool. And it reminded me of one of my favorite movies of all time, The Sandlot. Do you remember this movie back from the early 90s, The Sandlot? It's essentially a coming-of-age movie about a group of, of boys, and they love baseball. The setting is 1962. It's summer, small-town America, and these kids are out playing baseball all day long. And there was one boy who moves into town. He's brand new. He doesn't have any friends. He's, he's no good at baseball, <laughs> but he wants to belong. His name is Scotty Smalls. You might remember a line from the movie, you're killing me, Smalls. And so Smalls goes out to the sandlot, meets these boys, and it's obvious that he's no good at baseball and he's humiliated. And then he goes home and and his mom's trying to help him out. So she gets uh, his new stepdad that really doesn't have time for him, but he She convinces him to go out to the front yard to play catch and to try to teach him. And he ends up with a black eye. And so two humiliating experiences for Smalls. And then we find him sitting on the front porch. And he's sad. He's bummed out. He's got this big black eye and this huge goofy hat. And he's just just really bummed. And then along comes Benny. Benny is the best baseball player on the team. They call him Benny the Jet Rodriguez because he's so fast. And it's good to have a Benny in your life because Benny comes along and says, hey, I want, I want you to play. I want you to, to, to come on out. And Small says, no, you know, I don't want to do it. And he's given all these excuses and says, I don't have a glove. And Benny pulls out an extra glove and throws it at him, says, no more excuses. You're going to come and play. With the team. And so he goes and he introduces Smalls to the rest of the team, and here's how it goes for him. I'm the Frank Bambino. Oh. Who's that? What? I had no idea who they were talking about. What did you say? What, were you born in a barn, man? Yeah, yeah, what planet are you from? But there was no way I could let them know. You never heard of the Sultan of Swat? The Titan of Terror. The Colossus of Clout? The Colossus of Clout. Oh, yeah, the Great Bambino. Of course. I thought you said the Great Bambi. That wimpy deer? Yeah, I guess. Uh, sorry. Guys, this is Scott Smalls. Hi. <coughs> yeah, um, well, he's going to play with us because he makes nine, so now we got a whole team. Why'd you bring him, Benny? Because there's eight of us, and he makes nine. Yeah, yeah, so did my sister, but I didn't bring her. Come on, Benny, man. The kid is a L7 weenie. Yeah, yeah. Oscar Mayer, even. Footlong. Dodger dog. A weenie. Laughing at yeah, You were like a duck. Kiki, but I'm... I'm part of the game, right? 
Yeah. Now, how come he don't get to be? Because he's a geek, man. He can't geek. catch. Man, face up, you blockheads. Smalls, you take left center, okay? Okay. Um, where exactly is that? It's over there, man. Yeah, yeah, get two. Poor Smalls. <laughs> you know what that feels like, right? I mean, all of us at some point in our life know what that feels like. A sense of shame, a sense of not belonging, being on the outside looking in, not being accepted, not being liked. All those things that feed into this sense of inadequacy and loneliness, really the things that create isolation for us. You know, human beings have a knack for isolating one another, don't we? And we know this to be against what we need. I mean, scientifically, we know that we need human contact. From the moment that we are born, we know that we need to be held. We are healthier, more whole human beings when that happens. And we know it to be true socially as well. Just go to any schoolyard or go to any office, go to any church, and people will break themselves down into smaller groups where they can relate to one another, where friendships can be formed. We know it to be true theologically, that we are created in the image of this communal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we were all made to know and to be known by others. And so we get it, and we understand that in the church, a picture like that should never take place. But we also realize that it does, doesn't it? It does. Human beings have a knack for separating and dividing and isolating one another. It happened 2,000 years ago, and it still happens today. And so we've been in this series for the last seven weeks. This is week seven of eight. And I want to encourage you to be here next week for sort of the, the finale and the end of this series that we've been in called St. Almost, The Trouble with Christians. And we've been walking through some of the themes in this letter called 1 Corinthians. It's in the New Testament of the Bible, and it's a response by the Apostle Paul to the early church in Corinth, answering some of the questions that they had about their faith and really responding to all these different problems that were going on in the early church. 
And it's interesting because there were all these different situations, but really uh, there is a theme that runs through the whole book, and that theme is this idea of division and separation and isolation. And we see them doing that early on. They, they figured out all, way, all sorts of different ways to separate themselves from one another. Whether it was men separated from women or whether it was the rich separated from the poor, whether it was those from high status separating themselves from people of low status, whether it was people that had a little more knowledge from people that didn't have as much knowledge or, or the immature from the mature. I mean, they figured out all sorts of ways to divide themselves. And now today, as we walk into chapter 12, we'll see them dividing themselves according to these things called spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, if you've never heard what a, what a spiritual gift is, essentially it is an ability that God gives to each and every Christ follower. And, and, and really the purpose of spiritual gifts, the idea behind them is to serve others. Spiritual gifts are essentially given to us to serve others. And isn't that just like Jesus to give us a gift that's not for us? <laughs> I mean, we enjoy it, and, and, but we get to share it. And primarily, we share the gift with others because it builds the community up. Paul will say it's for the common good, or literally in the Greek, for the common profit. It's a little bit like a symphony. I don't know if you've ever been to the symphony or, or if you've seen an, an orchestra play, uh, play or something like that. Maybe you've been to an opera. When you first get there, you'll hear the orchestra warming up. And it's kind of that sound. Everybody's tuning their instrument and some people are they're going through their run-through or they're practicing their little solo. And it's just all the instruments. But then at some point, the lights go down and it gets really quiet. And the conductor will tap that little stick, right? And he'll raise his arms, and then the music will begin. And if the symphony plays together, and if they play in tune, it is beautiful. And I'm not a musician. I don't know what that's like. I know what it's like to be on a sports team where everything's going well, and everybody's playing their position. And it's, 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 a, it's a joy. So I can only imagine what it must be like to play in a symphony that sounds beautiful. It must be an amazing experience. And when it goes well and the music is beautiful, the audience applauds. And that's what the church is meant to be like. Everybody using their gifts in tune with one another. No gift missing. Imagine if, if several of the, of the instruments in the orchestra were missing. It just wouldn't be as beautiful. And when we play together well, it's a joy for us to experience that and the community around us goes, wow. Now that's a community that has something going on. That's a community of people that I want to know more about. And so Paul encourages the Corinthians, and they're struggling with this because this thing about spiritual gifts is dividing them because sometimes the music doesn't go well. Sometimes the music is just painful, and the audience looks and says, nah, I don't want to go to that show. I don't want to be a part of that community. And so it's critical that the ancient church would get this right, and I believe that it's critical, critical for us. Right here, 2014, Lakeside Church in Folsom and surrounding, that we get this right. 
If you have your Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you don't have a Bible, I just want to really encourage you, grab one of the Bibles that are on the seat, uh, take that home. We'd love for you to read the scriptures. It's one of the best ways to get to know God. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul begins by saying, now about spiritual gifts, or now about the gifts of the Spirit. And he said this before, he says, now about marriage, and he answers their question on marriage, now about food sacrifice to idols. And so again, here's another question that they had for Paul. And he's responding to this question, trying to shepherd them through this. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. In other words, he wants them to grow up in their faith. He wants them to be knowledgeable about this. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. And so they had these religious systems where they would go and they would worship these idols. And Paul says, these are mute idols. They don't speak into your life. They don't shape you. They don't form you. They don't help you. He says, that's where you've come from. Verse 3 says, therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God actually does speak, says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. And so a couple interesting things right off the bat here in this chapter. First of all, Paul calls them brothers and sisters. They are a part of the same family. In Jesus, they come to the same table and eat together. In other words, there is no us and them. There's just a we. Paul says you're all a part of the same family, so quit trying to divide one another. And then secondly, Paul says that the only reason that they're really a part of this family is because God has actually called them into it. The phrase Paul uses here is Jesus is Lord, and it's the oldest confession of the church. Essentially, they took this from the culture around them. Brad's talked about the fact that they used to worship the emperor. They actually believed that when Caesar died, he was deified and he became God. And so the living Caesar was the son of God and the Lord. And so they actually even used to print on their money, Caesar is Lord. And the Christians took that phrase and they said, no, Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. And this became the very first confession of the church. And so they would say to one another, Jesus is Lord. And Paul is saying, none of you get to say that without the Holy Spirit's influence on your life. So you can't take pride in the fact that you know Jesus. You can't take pride in the fact that you were a part of this family. There is no us and them. And there's no reason to set yourself up above somebody else. Because we've all been called into this family through grace. It's the same thing he says to the Ephesians. It's only by grace so that no one can boast. And Paul begins to level the playing field with this church once again. He goes on from there in verse 4 and he says... There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. So we've all been gifted, but just like our saving grace, it's the Holy Spirit. It's God who gives those gifts. And so again, no room for pride. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. 
Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, or again, for the common profit. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy, or we might say teaching. To another, distinguishing between spirits, or we might say discernment. To another, speaking in different types of tongues, or we might say languages. And still another, the interpretation of those tongues. And so Paul is basically sort of giving, it's not an exhaustive list, but this is one of the areas in the scripture where he starts working through some of the specific gifts of the Spirit that God gives to Christ followers in the church. And some of you are saying, yeah, yeah, I've heard of this. And you know what? I know what my spiritual gift is. In fact, I use my spiritual gift, and that's great, and that's awesome. And some of you are going, okay, I'm sort of familiar with this, and I'm not really sure. I think... I think I might have this spiritual gift, and, and I, you know, I've had this experience. And then there's others of you, I realize, that are on the other end of the spectrum. You're going, what? Spiritual what? Gift what? What are you talking about? And there's a spectrum. And one of the commitments that we have at Lakeside Church is that we want to help every single Christ follower grow up in their faith. Brad's talked about moving from the kids' table to the grown-ups' table. And part of that is learning about yourself and how God has wired you and how God has gifted you, and then it's starting to exercise those gifts. We have a commitment to that. We say that we want to create simple and clear pathways for everybody to begin in faith, to belong to community, and to become like Jesus. And really, the word in the scriptures that's used for that is the word disciple, And so Jesus is talking to his disciples right before he's going to leave them, and he's going to send them out to start the early church. And he says, go into all the world, literally the languages, as you go along, as you live your life, as you're interacting with your oikos, go along and make disciples. And the type of disciples that you were to make were disciple-making disciples. And so I want to tell you a little secret this morning, okay, and just give you a little... um, a little preview or a little heads up about something that, that we've been working on. And you're going to hear more about this as we move into next month. We're actually going to have a Lakeside Leader event where we're going to unfold some of this stuff. And then, and then we're going to move into the summer and we're going to communicate even more and we're going to be launching some things in the fall. But there's something that has sort of been going on a little bit underground and it's called a Go Group. A go group. In fact, Carl Rettinger and Lisa Tudor are two in-reach directors. We're so committed to this that we have these two staff members that they're, they're leading us towards this. And they're, they're laying out just a great way for us to be able to equip and care for people as we go along the road, as we go along in our lives, making disciples. And so it's an appropriate name for a group that gathers together to learn how to do that, to go, go group. And, and, and we want to encourage you. Just, just to be thinking about this. In fact, when you see Carl and Lisa, don't tell them I told you this. Just say, go. And they'll know what, they'll know what I'm talking about. You know, they'll know what you're talking about. Because we want to teach you and, and help you figure out what your spiritual gifts are, how to use them, how to tell your story, how do you disciple somebody else, how could you lead a small group. We want to see everybody be able to grow up in their faith and be cared for along in the journey. And that's just one thing 
that we have in store as we're working on this whole idea of how do we go along out into the world and make disciples who make disciples. And so you may know what your spiritual gift is. You may not know. And uh, I want to encourage you, every single Christ follower has something that they've been given by God to give away. And when they do that, it benefits the whole body of Christ. And the world looks on and says, wow, something is going on there. And Paul is so for this. Paul is, is sharing this with the early church that, hey, there's no room for pride. Everybody's been gifted. There's different gifts. There's a sense of diversity there. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so he goes on in verse 11, and he says, All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And he could have just extended that list on. He just stops there, but he could have just gone on and on with that. All those ways that we divide ourselves, Paul breaks those down. One spirit, different gifts. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. In the last uh, several weeks, Brad has given us a really good sense for how the worship gatherings were working in this ancient little church and how there was chaos and how there was disorganization and how there were people in the worship gatherings that were being shamed. There were part of their community that were kind of being pushed and isolated to the side. Brad talked last week about the women and how they, they were being shamed. And, and, and now we have this situation where there's actually some people with one type of gift and there are some people with another type of gift. And because of their culture, because their culture was really into status and one of their status symbols was the spotlight, somebody who could stand up, get the spotlight, and they could speak in front of others, they started to gravitate towards, towards those things and they started to say, these are the important gifts. And those other behind-the-scenes ones, they're not so important. And so take a gift like prophecy or a gift like teaching. And so that person would get the spotlight. And they would feel really important. And they would kind of shun the person that maybe didn't have one of those speaking gifts. Or the, or the, or the gift of tongues. And, and this idea that, that you can interpret another language. Like we see in Acts chapter 2 when we see people interpreting languages that they didn't even know. Or Paul will talk about sort of a, a heavenly language or a, or a language of angels. And I don't really know how all that works. But, 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 but God would gift somebody with that. And, and, and they would get up and they would share this language. And, and maybe there was somebody there to interpret it. Maybe there wasn't. But there was all all sorts of confusion going on. And so you had these people over here that had other gifts, like maybe the gift of wisdom. You ever have coffee with somebody that just has wisdom and you're sharing something and they have a way of just understanding what's going on and guiding your life? What a precious gift that is. But it tends to be a little quieter, doesn't it? Or the gift of hospitality. You know somebody that is just great at hospitality and you just feel welcomed by them? But it's a quieter gift. Or the gift of service, kind of behind the scenes. And you show up at something and everything just seems to be there and everything just seems to be in order. Somebody did that. But it's not a spotlight gift. And so these people were feeling a sense of isolation and shame. 
And not only that, but you had the people with the spotlight gifts, and they were fighting against one another. One person would stand up and start teaching, and then another person would interrupt them, and it was chaos. And Paul will get to the point in chapter 14 where he will say, God is not a God of chaos, or he's not a God of disorder, but he is a God of peace. And he begins to teach them, you know, how to lay out their worship gatherings and how to treat one another with Love. I mean, this got so bad, this got so bad that Paul, uh, in verse 26 of chapter 12, says, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Again, there is no us and them. And he gets really, really clear with them, and he says, Now you, and he says it in the plural, and I believe if he was here, he would say, Now you, Lakeside, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Apparently, there were some in that ancient church that were probably wondering, am I even a part of the body of Christ? I mean, am I a legitimate part of the church? Because I just keep on getting pushed to the side. Paul says, no, this should not be happening. We are one church. Everyone matters. No one left out. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a part of the body of Christ. And Paul goes on to teach them that there, is, there are different types of gifts. And as again, again, I said, you know, diversity is a beautiful thing. And there's no room for pride in this. And then he's going to get to the very end of chapter 12. And he will say, I will show you the most excellent way. The most excellent way, the best way. And I just wanna, I just wanna sort of read for you, and 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 paraphrase a little bit, First Corinthians chapter thirteen, one of the most beautiful chapters in all of the scriptures. And I want you to just sit back. Maybe you close your eyes. Maybe you think about this for a little bit. I think this is one of the most challenging and practical passages in the whole Bible. I don't have seven steps for you to love your oikos this morning. I don't have three snazzy ways to use your spiritual gift this morning. What I have is the scriptures. I have, I have 1 Corinthians 13, and I want to read through this, and I want you to think about your own life in regards to this passage. And so listen as I, as I read through this passage. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And how painful is that? If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a gift of faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. In fact, he says, if I give all my possessions to the poor, and even if I surrender my body over to a life of hardship, in the old versions it would say, if I surrender my body to the flames, So that I may boast, I really don't gain a thing. He says, the issue here is love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love never dishonors others. 
It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. As I've been meditating on this passage, it's been so convicting to me because right away, God brings this situation to mind where I had the opportunity to protect somebody's heart. The look on this person's face was a little bit like the look on Small's face out in the outfield. And in the moment, I realized, oh, no. I'm not helping this person. I'm not protecting their heart. And I had to completely change the way that I was interacting with this person. So convicting. So practical for our lives. He says, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For now we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, or we might say when wholeness comes, or when shalom is finally here, what is only in part will disappear. He says, when I was a child, I I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I grew up, When I moved from the kids' table to the adult table, when I became a man, I put the things of childhood behind me. And then he tells them, you know, right now we see a reflection. It's like we're looking into a mirror, and and even uh, there's a sense that it's, it's dim. It's only a reflection. But on that day, we shall see face to face. And how incredible will that be? It says, right now, I, I only know in part, but on that day, I will know fully, even as I am fully known. And then he says, but for now, for right now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And so Paul, just like Jesus, takes the status symbols of the day and the very things that human beings use to divide themselves and hurt one another, and he subverts them and he replaces them with love. What would that look like today? What would that look like in your oikos? If you begin to work out this chapter in the scriptures in your life, You begin to work out things like patience and kindness and all those things. What could happen? How beautiful would the music be if we played in tune with one another? I think it would be amazing. So do you remember our friend Scotty Smalls out in the outfield? Remember the look on his face? Remember what was going on? Fortunately, he had a Benny in his life. Like I said, it's always good to have a Benny. It's good to be a Benny to somebody else because he comes along and he uses his gift. He uses his talent. He uses what he has and he gives it away. And it changes Small's life. Let's continue the story and see what happens here. Throw it, you know. No. I can't. 
I don't know how. Thanks for taking me here. But I think I better go. You'd think too much. I mean, if you were having fun, you would have caught that ball. You ever have a paper out? I helped a guy once. Okay. Well, tuck it like you would throw a paper. When your arm gets here, just let go. Just let go. It's that easy. How do I catch it? Just stand there and stick your glove out in the air. I'll take care of it. Because whenever we use our gifts to bless others, everybody wins. Everybody wins. People that are hurting get healed. People that need to grow begin to grow. People that are on the outside get included. When we use our gifts to bless one another, everybody wins. And so I want to encourage you to go home. As you go along the path, think about the love chapter in the Bible. Think about how you're exercising the gifts that God has given you. As we head into Easter week, it's a time that we can remember the gift that God has given to us through his son. We're going to be focusing on that this Friday night at our Good Friday gatherings. And we're just going to focus on the sacrifice that, that God has given us on the cross and then on Saturday, we begin to celebrate, and the lights go up, and we begin to celebrate that explosion of grace that God has given us in his son, Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you so much for your incredible generosity. You are a God that gives, and there is not one person that you don't care about. God, the cross is the display of your love for the world. And you're saying to each and every person, come into my family. And when we do, when we trust you, when we commit our, our lives to you, God, you inhabit us. Your spirit lives within us. And you ignite this gift that you give to us. And you cause us to become a blessing to the world. And God, I thank you for that. I pray that Lakeside Church would be a place where people can discover that, where people can grow in that, that we would be a beautiful symphony that plays music for the world to hear. And when the world hears it, they just say, wow. And they find you because of it. 
Thanks so much for your generosity towards us, Lord, and we pray all this in your name. Amen.